Welcome to the Cross the Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith. Today's episode is sponsored by KB's Car Deal on 321 North Main Street in Jonesville, South Carolina. They have a hand car wash, vacuum, and clean interior. Full detail is also available. While you wait on your vehicle, customer seating is available as well as the dining area. They open Tuesday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., so make sure you stop by. Today's episode is also sponsored by Big Ben's Desserts. If you need to satisfy, satisfy your sweet tooth, this is the place for you. They offer a wide variety of desserts, including cakes, ice cream, banana pudding, and my personal favorite, the Oreo cheesecake. They open Tuesday to Saturday from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. and Sunday from 12 p.m. to 7 p.m. and close on Mondays. So stop by and visit Big Ben's Desserts on 297 Spartanburg Highway in Lyman, South Carolina, where nothing could be sweet. Today we are on the road in Charleston, South Carolina, here for the Cross the Line Podcast Self-Investment Tour, and we have a very special guest with us today. She is the founder of Tipsy Lady, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Miss Tony Gilly. How, how are you? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. We had a nice little three-hour drive this morning, but, you know, I'm thankful to be here with so much going on, but it's still, I always tell people I love, you know, having the opportunity to um, do, what, do what I'm doing and inspire people to have a platform, and I appreciate you for taking the time to come share your story as well. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. So kind of starting out. Tipsy lady, can you tell the people watching us? Of course, I did my research as well, but for the audience and the people paying attention to this interview, can you tell people how long have you actually been in business with Tipsy Lady? So I started in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when the concept came to me. Um, traveling in Barbados, visiting family, hadn't been back there in t- like 21 years. So wow. that's where the message was given to me to start the company. Mm-hmm. And of all the businesses, um, can you talk a little bit about like like why the uh getting into the cocktail industry like what was it that finally uh made you want to you know dive into that business well i come from legal background an attorney been doing that for almost 20 years real estate for the last five this is a a passion project something that allows me to create a legacy Mm -hmm. it was about a celebration of heritage and flavor i come from i'm a Gullah Geechee girl from charleston root wise i'm a new yorker by birth but my mom is Gullah Geechee, and my grandmother, as well as my mom, both married people from Barbados. Okay. And then my dad's side, his mom is Bermudan. So I'm very Caribbean in a lot of my upbringing and, and culture. So I wanted to do something that honored that space. So talk a little bit about your background. We definitely want to get back into Tipsy Lady. Uh, you say you were born and raised in New York. In New York. Mm-hmm. Kind of talk about like what was your childhood like growing up? Um, so I was born in the Bronx. Okay. My parents married very young. Um, my mom had me actually at 16. My dad was 19. Uh, they separated around when I was like three or four. And mm-hmm. then right after that, living in the Bronx, during that tender age, we moved to San Juan Hill, which is um, in, in Midtown Manhattan, 64th in Amsterdam, also mm-hmm. known as Amsterdam Projects now. Um, grew up in a single parent home. Um, I have one sister, two brothers. Uh, I learned to speak Spanish at seven years old. Um, my neighborhood was very Caribbean and in Spanish, more Puerto Rican, Dominican, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of Caribbean culture as well. So that's pretty much upbringing and where all that was founded um, as far as inspiration, drawing on roots. And first to go to college, first to graduate from high school, not in that order. Um, first attorney in the family, so my mom was very strict. Right. <laughs> and education was our way out. Did you feel a lot of pressure, you know, you know, being the first to graduate from college and of course graduated from high school? Did you feel like pressure to, you know, be the first in your family to, you know, make it this far or um 
to that level in it as, as far as like graduation graduating from college did you feel like it was some kind of pressure or high expectations on you no pressure it was just a part of the fabric and part of the conversation it wasn't like there wasn't an option and then it was no pressure because i love education i love mm -hmm. to read i love to explore languages and the arts you know i did dancing as a kid and was an artist and wanted to go to LaGuardia high school so for me it wasn't necessarily like there was an expectation that made me feel like i have to do this it was this is what it's going to be and that's it and there, there was no resistance i welcomed it did you come from a family of entrepreneurs or were you kind of like the first in your family to you know start the uh the journey of entrepreneurship not necessarily um my grandmother which is my mom's mom was a hustler right she worked you know in the medical field and or more assisted living but she also sold dinners <laughs> mm -hmm. um, in Harlem on 20th Atlantic so crabs on the road like so that entrepreneurship growing up watching that I didn't know there was a word for it wow. it was we selling crabs this weekend or we selling mm -hmm. dinners so that was entrepreneurship I didn't discover that that's what it was until I became an adult um, so it's, it was rooted in me always figuring it out you know I, I said that before in previous interviews you know I, I never knew what the word was for but you know I said growing up I saw my uncle, He, I mean, he had a nine to five, but other than that, he also made a lot of money, you know, cutting grass. So I would tell people all the time, you know, my uncle was going to cut grass, my uncle cut grass. That's all I said. I didn't know it was entrepreneur. And he had a lawn care business where he employed other men to, you know, come work for him. And they would have contracts with restaurants and they would go all over. And, you know, sometimes on weekends, me and my brother, we would go along with them, mm -hmm. you know. We would go, he, either he'd grab a weed eater for us or he'll just show, have us raking leaves. But you know, it just helped us make some money mm -hmm. on the side for school. But I didn't know the word entrepreneur. Like it was just something that uh, we just thought we was just, you know, going out and right. making money mm -hmm. for some reason. Making ends meet. Absolutely. Why do you think, you know, for now, in the times we're in right now, why do you think now entrepreneurship, it kind of seems like, kind of like a trend now? I think, value people weren't valuing employees in mm -hmm. those spaces um and people are now knowing their worth people i think with COVID 19 people had to be creative and operate in their gift to make ends meet and having that flexibility whether those companies close or those companies allow for remote working where they were able to complete the task at hand in a shorter period of time but then work the side hustle Right. And then they realized, I think, the side hustle was, one, purpose-driven, passionate about it, and then the money was coming. So for me, I think when you do what you love, the money will come. And I think more people are realizing that and um, knowing their value and knowing their worth, but also doing things that they enjoy. I Absolutely. think that that's the key and not being valued in those other spaces. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing probably, like, I think it was – it was a kind of a blessing in disguise, especially for a lot of people, um, was that, you know, when the pandemic hit and so many people were losing their jobs and, you know, some people were invested so long in their companies, whether it's 20, 30 years, and then all of a sudden you don't have that job anymore, so you lose that sense of security. Mm -hmm. So it was like, now what do I do? So I think um, for a lot of people, you know, you say, you know, nothing is guaranteed, which mm -hmm. it never is anyway. Um, so it's like if you can lose your job at any given moment, why not, you know, invest in yourself and, and create your own opportunity? Mm -hmm. So I think it taught people, you know, to kind of like also have like a, 
another uh, source of income, right. which is so important, especially in our community, because like you know, we didn't really see a lot of that. Um, in my family, we my my parents, we had two sources of income because they both worked jobs, but that was it. It was nothing, you know, outside of that that they had. So I think that you know, for us, it's so important. You know, kind of like. I was, I'm not going to say entrepreneurship is for everybody, but, you know, trying to create something. Multiple that, streams. Multiple streams of income is so important for people in our mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's, it's math. So, also, when, you, when going back to the business, Tipsy Lady, um, did you have to consult with anybody about, about, you know, finally stepping all in to do it? Or were you just kind of like, okay, I know I'm going to do it. Um, whether anybody uh, gives me that encouragement. <laughs> right, that's or, my personality. I'm like, right. this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> so I was very much, this is what I'm going to do. And it's been done, but not in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to figure it out. So that's pretty much, it was ne- not necessarily, hey, I have this great idea. What you think? It was, hey, I got this good idea. And this is what I'm about to rock with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this is my why. And um, it was legacy. It was something that I could pass on to my kids. It was something that I didn't have to be at the register doing the transaction. I mean, once I sell it to the distributor, then they push it, and then I market it. And that could be, you know, global. And I don't necessarily have to be the other person at the end of the table with the transaction mano y mano in order to make money. And it was something that I knew that I could build to scale up to something great. Mm-hmm. And the pass on to my kids. Do you ever have those battles with yourself? Though it's kind of like, uh, like I don't know if I should do this right now, or, sh- or should I wait? Um, or I'm just gonna go all in because I know, like I was just telling you not too long ago about the fight I'm getting ready to take in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where I, um, I spoke to my brother about it yesterday, and I tell him, man, I'm thinking about doing it, <laughs> and he's like, okay. So he's like, what's holding you back? And I'm just like, man, nothing real. I'm just like, do I really want to do it? So it's crazy this morning after I woke up, I was tracking the flights and everything, and I got a notification the flight dropped maybe like almost $200. So I'm like, okay, you know what? Before I talk myself out of it, I'm going to just go ahead and book it, and I'm gone. But do you ever have those moments where you kind of like battle with yourself about whether you should or shouldn't do something? It's more so it's all Mm spirit-led. So for me, this was a gift that I strongly believe my ancestors gave me that I'm supposed to be doing. So for me, whenever I feel conflicted, I always pause and I have my quiet time in the morning. And then I'll just talk to my ancestors' spirit. I talk to God and I pray on it. I say, okay, I know this is my assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it may be crazy for other people, but I know this was gifted to me. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's a looking a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, for lack of a better analogy, to not pursue something that I wholeheartedly believe is spirit-led, and um, that that that's all I, I need to push forward. Mm-hmm. So I don't talk myself out of it. Some things it's flavor profile. Maybe I should do this flavor versus that flavor. You know those conversations. But whether it's to still do the thing, meaning run tipsy lady, you go all it's in. no brainer. It's all in. Mm-hmm. It's all or nothing. And I can't afford to lose at this age. I'm like almost fifty. I'm like oh, wow. <laughs> I cannot afford to lose. I think for me, it's just, you know, I believe in what I'm doing and I love, you know, once I I started doing this when I was in college and once I got that exposure to it, I was like, man, I, I fell in love with this space. And I didn't see a lot of people in the media space, excuse me, 
So it's like, you know what? I feel like I can do this. And I had the exposure of covering professional sports. Mm -hmm. And then doing it on my own, you know, it's kind of, you know, entrepreneurship for me, sometimes it gets lonely. Mm -hmm. It's a a tough journey. And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I had somebody, you know, to come along with me. But it's like, I can't expect everybody to, you know, see my vision and have the same drive as Mm -hmm. me because it's not for them to see. But I think that's for me is one of the things, you know, I kind of, one of my biggest battles is like, man, am I, I know I'm doing something that I love doing and I have a passion for it, and I know it's making a difference, right. but it's like just that sometimes that loneliness mm-hmm. that I feel, you know, going on this journey, mm-hmm. which I would love to, you know, help bring other people along with me. It's just mm-hmm. sometimes that, that lonely journey of mm-hmm. uh, entrepreneurship. Right. But I always say try to create your tribe. So they may not necessarily be in the same career space or business space. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I just try to talk to other entrepreneurs right? because right. we mm-hmm. get it. Um, I don't know anybody in the cocktail space, mm-hmm. but I remember running a law firm. I remember doing real estate, which is definitely very independent in nature and connected with people who, who get it. They know the hustle. You can bounce things off, not strategy wise, as far as what it product you're delivering, but some of the challenges you may have, I say, you don't have to be alone as a business owner. Mm-hmm. There's tons of people out here more than ever now where you can collab with. Right. You know, a lot of co-working spaces. I always say, tell people about your business. <laughs> Make your business their business so that you don't feel alone and that you can bounce things off. Even if it's things like accounting. Oh, who do you use as a CPA? Or did you know about this particular regulation? Mm-hmm. Have a conversation and create. And at one point, I would have, you know, a weekly meetup at a restaurant over cocktails with men and women entrepreneurs let's go and vibe and see how we can share resources and and help each other be great when you talk about it did you so did you find yourself you know kind of changing your circle a little bit when you were when you went to venture into the entrepreneurship space did you find yourself kind of you know not necessarily just ditching your friends or whatever but you know kind of you know kind of maybe in a little sense a little bit distancing yourself you know kind of changing your circle and your environment once you once you switch over to you know entrepreneurship i have the same friends i've had for over 30 years so but the the difference is i didn't grow up in charleston so all my folks are still in new york in the jersey area right um so it forced me you know to kind of stay the course i'm the only entrepreneur in my tribe okay um, and they look up to me and they feel encouraged, inspired, but nobody's left their job mm-hmm. yet. But having my cert, being very intentional about the spaces that I'm in, mm-hmm. meaning I party with a purpose. Why am I going? If I'm going to have a good time, I'm going to have a good time. What are the expectations? So for me, I go out a lot alone because I don't want to be in a bubble where I'm not just focused on the group that I'm with. I get mm-hmm. to meet and network with other people. Um, so I don't necessarily change my tribe and just have different tribes and different pockets for different things so how long have you actually been down here in charleston i moved here in 03 november of 2003 and the the reason i asked that is because we have uh, um this conversation before and i seen one of my friends he recently posted about it who's saying sometimes we're from the same area about five ten minutes apart and you know recently about two three years ago he moved to atlanta and he was saying sometimes one of some of the best things that can happen to you is you know leaving home and changing your environment because it forces you to, you know, uh, create your own opportunities and you find out so much more about yourself when you leave home. Did you feel like, or do you feel like in the sense that it's sometimes it is best to kind of like uproot and leave home so you can kind of like find yourself even more? Right. And be exposed to different things. Like I've lived overseas. Um, I started mm-hmm. that very, like I left 
New York, went to DC for college, went to Maryland for law school. I've always moved around, I've studied abroad. So for me, and then I travel a lot. So I'm leaving for Barbados tomorrow. So I travel a lot and before the pandemic, I tried every you know three months or every four months to leave the US to get a different perspective and then meet people, you know, even when traveling, whether it's locals or people who are also traveling, for me, taking myself out of my everyday environment Mm-hmm. is key for my growth because I get to see how other people live and explore. I think one of the things that happened for me about two, three years ago was when I finally stepped out of my comfort zone and I actually, you know, for the longest, I was afraid to even get on a plane. So I was like, man, I'm, I'm not going to get on a plane because <laughs> they go up and then they come down. Mm-hmm. And the uh, first time I ever got on a plane, I was 28 years old. Um, I just turned 30 back in March. And... Uh, but it just changed my perspective, and you know, I, first time I flew flew to Jacksonville, Florida, and um, you know, just experiencing different things and seeing how, um, just a little bit of how the culture is different. I actually just came back last week from uh, Michigan, nice. and the way they just embraced me and showed me love there. But their culture is just different. Yeah, Even yeah. certain things like um, I had one lady; she was saying, uh, "They say pop, pop into the soda." Well, we yeah, we say soda. <laughs> So I'm like, man, pop, what is, mm-hmm. you know, what is that? But it's just different things like that. But they embraced me. And then, you know, just the opportunities I had to network. I had um, a chance to, you know, to talk to some people about my book. And they invited mm-hmm. me back for, like, a book sign and, nice. you know, have my book in the bookstore. But it's like, if you just stay in your comfort zone, you just miss those certain mm-hmm. opportunities and, you know, those relationships that you can build with mm-hmm. people. So now I'm just like, you know what, I'm... I was like, I still get a little nervous hopping on a plane here and there, but you know, to me, it's like one of the best things that happened to me because it's like, it's so much more life to live. And then if you just stay in your bubble, you'll just miss out on a lot of different things. But I, I want to ask you also, talk speaking about Barbados. Um, I mean, you said in the article, it said that you vacationed in Barbados and uh, you heard your ancestors say the word legacy. Um, what does legacy mean to you? That it precedes me in death. Whatever I'm building, like real estate, I pass away, somebody else takes over the... <laughs> right. With this, as long as I have the model set up and the board of directors in place, it'll precede me in death meeting. Not only my children will be fed, my bloodline will be fed, but little brown boys and girls who, you know, look like me, they will be fed through the foundation that I'll be starting as well to give money to startups because I had to do all this out of pocket. It's very hard to get capital. It is very hard to get capital um and that small seed can make a world of difference in a in a business mm-hmm. i want you to when you talk about capital like in the early phases of um your your starting tipsy lady can you talk a little bit about like how the early phase was and like the things you had to go through to get started so one i knew you know the name tipsy that's what it was um checking you know having a legal background making sure it wasn't already taken um mm-hmm. finding hiring consultants who weren't great consultants who really didn't know jack crap about the business mm-hmm. um learning early on when to walk away um trusting gut when right. i was having you know conversations with some of those consultants when my stomach felt uneasy I had to go with my gut and it was it's time to separate trying to you know move on and find somebody else because that's just not it and also understanding to not operate in the spirit of desperation and that's from personal relationships as well for me it was 
I need money, but I'm not about to give you a bunch of equity in my company right. and you're not contributing anything of value, especially nothing tangible, no money. You just want to consult and we give you X percentage. <laughs> so for me, it was, I need the, I need the expertise, but also trusting my spirit and saying, you're not even giving me the expertise I'm paying you for. Right. And you're already asking me for equity. <laughs> yeah, so now I was going to say that's, that's one of those things that can be tough for a lot of entrepreneurs because they, they want the money so bad that they give up so much of their company. And one of my mentors, I remember him telling me, he was he made a huge impact on my life. I tell everybody, Ben, ben Hall, he owns Big Ben's Dessert. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a point for him where he also said, you know, he had a big company, you know, ready to come invest in them. But he said, for the most part, they were just going to give him a big check, nice check. But he wasn't going to... And they own, would make all the decisions. Make no. all the decisions. None of the stuff was going to be on him. So he said, you know what? I'm out. Mm -hmm. he, just, he, he turned away from it. But I think a lot of times in those situations, it can be tough. But like you said, you were, you went with your gut feeling, your gut instinct. Mm -hmm. Do you think... Uh, how much of that... How tough do you think that can be for entrepreneurs? And, um, I know you turned it down, but why do you think a lot of entrepreneurs may feel like they, they can't do it and they, you know give up so much of their companies they don't know they're not informed so they don't know anything about equity what that means having majority shares you know they don't have basic business principles so you know you do have to leverage at some point for scalability with your company to grow mm -hmm. right and so that's just the game the nature of the game where you give a little to get a little but a lot of times you know they may think they need so little, right? It'll get you over this little baby hump, but not seeing, you know, having foresight to say, it's going to cost me, you know, 500K to get to where I need to be. Why would I settle for 10K and give mm -hmm. up equity? Because I need 10K right now. Okay, now that I get that 10K, what next? I'm going to give up some more equity for another 10K. And then you you you, you have no, <laughs> you don't own your company. Right. It's, it somewhat makes me think a little bit about Shark Tank because, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of times they may give you 500K, but they might want 20% of your company. So that's what that's what it made me think about sometimes. It's like it's like they can already, the guys on the show, they can already see the vision of what this could be. So they're willing to, you know, give mm -hmm. that money just because they know how big the plan can be. Sometimes, like, it's like you got to really trust your vision. Sometimes right. it's okay to turn things down. Um, and it's not always about the money. It's also the relationships that you're building, the scalability. Mm -hmm. so for me, it's, okay, I'll take, I need the money. You're going to give me the money. But what else can you do other than cut a check? Right. Meaning, how are you going to help me grow? Mm -hmm. Same with Shark Tank Theory. They ain't just cutting checks. Those persons who are pitching, they're making the decision which investor they want to go with based on who can take me to the next level. Mm -hmm. So I think that is something that we, you know, as newbie entrepreneurs or serial entrepreneurs need to focus on as far as capital. It's how can whoever I'm dancing or in bed with, how can they take me, you know, to another level that I can't do for myself? When you, when you speak about partnerships, do you say that's probably like the most important thing would you say is the relationships over the money because of how they can connect even though That's somebody else may give you more money those relationships are more important right the relationships are important the relationships are very important meaning they can connect the dots or introduce you to somebody who may have the plug you right. know what i mean mm -hmm. to take you to another level whereas the person who is the bank or have the money okay it's great but once the money gone then what right how can you help me grow? You give me the cash. Once the money gone, that's it. 
where somebody who's going to give up their time, the expertise that you can pick up the phone and run things by from a business perspective or somebody that may know somebody who knows somebody, meaning they may not have the answer, but they know somebody who does, that will take you to another level. Absolutely. With your partnership, did you have a hard time, you know, getting people to buy into your vision or, or and did they have any, any kind of issues as far as like the name of Tipsy Lady, anything? Did you have a hard time selling them on anything? Well, I'm a solo. I own 100% of my company. I have no partners. Um, it's self-funded. But, you know, a couple of people, you know, more with the, the name Tipsy, you know. But those people, you know, I, I count on one hand how many people have said something about the name name tipsy one they ain't had no money they weren't trying to invest so why you care <laughs> my own business and then second was a guy who was like oh you know i don't think you'll get into any stores because the name is promoting over drinking and i'm like that's your perspective the name ain't changing i mean i'm you know mutable mean if it makes sense but when people hear the story that it's not about being slightly drunk it's about tipping the scales in the industry as it relates to women and ownership more specific, it's women in color, women of color in ownership. So when you know what tipsy is, the story, you know, precedes all yeah. that other negative stuff. And I think that's so important to, you know, just look beyond the name, like find the meaning of something. Because um, I had a little pushback with, with my book that came out last year. I had to uh, tell you about mm -hmm. that as well, and I, I got a copy of it for you. Okay, absolutely. But um, I think, you know, just looking at a name or something, people don't dive into the full story. They just see a name, and it just automatically just turns them off. Like, right. they don't even want to hear the rest of anything you have to say. But as far as, you know, speaking about um, being a woman of color, and being an entrepreneur, why do you think women have a hard time in the entrepreneurship space as far as like when it comes to ownership? One, a lot of us are single parents and those who aren't single, <laughs> they're technically single because we're doing all the work. We're working and we still take care of the household. Even you know when we're married, when I was married, I still had to pay bills. I still had mm -hmm. to cook, I had to clean. I still had to tend to the husband. I still had to tend to the kid. So stretch thin. So I think that's, you know, one, probably one reason because we have multiple hats that we wear mm -hmm. um, and, and we're stretched so thin. Um, so I think that overall it's because we do so much mm -hmm. and we're so much to so many people. And I think, this is my, pers my opinion, um, I think part of it also is, you know, sometimes men can feel like they can't take orders from women mm -hmm. you know, when they have those positions of power. It's like... They, you know, as a man, you always want to, you know, lead and, you know, provide and protect. But I guess when you feel like you have a woman in control of a, of a business, you feel like, like, you don't want them to have control of you and telling you what to do as a man. So I think a lot of times some people have issues mm -hmm. with that as well. True. But for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm willing to stand behind anybody who has a vision and something that's positive and, you know, moving our culture forward because, you know, mm -hmm. as, you know, as African-Americans, we already have a hard time. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's just like interesting the time that we're in. It's, I had a conversation at work. Um, these we had some um, people that they don't look like us. They they actually told me like, man, this is a, this is a. They don't really feel like. I mean, they know we have some issues that's facing us as African Americans, but they feel like you know this is a great time for y'all because you know as people of color, y'all we don't know as people of color we don't know what to say to you guys because. We don't want to say say the wrong thing and come mm -hmm. off as racist or different things like that. So the perspective for them is a lot different for us. We're like, man, y'all think we got it made, but we still have an uphill battle yes, that we have to go through mm -hmm. every day. 
So it's just like those different perspectives of mm -hmm. how, you know, how they view society and as how we view society right. are like totally different as African Americans. Um, mm -hmm. But I definitely feel like women, of course, you guys have a, a lot tougher battle um, as entrepreneurship and, you know, being in those powerful right. positions. Yeah, I, I think so. And again, because we're juggling, you know, household. But at the end of the day, we run in a business. The household is a business. Oh, absolutely. You got to know what vendors to come cut the grass. If you're going to have a cleaning service with cleaning lady or cleaning male is going to be your service provider. You got to negotiate, you know, so many things. It is a whole business. And take care of the kids. And that's Which is like having employees. It you really make is. Like, I'm like... Whatever you need, you just let me know. I, I'm dishing out the money. Whatever you need to do, like, I don't really want to. See, it's to, too easy just to cut a check. But, yeah, just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But uh, speaking of those barriers, is that something that you fully embrace, you know, understanding that everything is not going to be a smooth transition and you're going to have a lot of things coming your way as a woman of color in this position? Is that something you've fully embraced? Yeah, I think historically how we, I mean, culturally how like from through slavery and overcoming all of that i'm like this ain't nothing compared right. to the mm -hmm. middle passage or this ain't nothing compared to slavery and what they had to endure or this ain't nothing compared to the civil rights move i'm like this here oh no this ain't nothing mm -hmm. they've paved the way and if i can come if i knowing with you know conviction that is what i come from it's rooted it's in my dna it's it's how i'm wired so whenever i feel discouraged or tired like this morning, I had the four o'clock praying people time. I got up and I was like, "Keep pushing, Tony. Keep pushing. Mm -hmm. Keep pushing." It's a tough journey. Um, I saw online in the article you say you in the markets you were in were California, Florida, um, New York, and New Jersey, and online in over thirty states. To you, did it feel like all of this started happening like fast, or was it like a long process for you? No, <laughs> it happened fast because it was like this was a concept, and then I'm doing the things, and then I'm undoing and redoing. And then it's like, all right, oh, wait a minute, you're really doing a thing. So we didn't launch online until January of this year. Oh, okay. And then that allowed me, you know, to research laws and that kind of thing of how to get in those markets. And then it was South Carolina, you live here, go knock on doors, have people tasting the product. And I had sample cans and everywhere I go, if you want to taste a little rum punch, <laughs> hustle it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... It definitely took off between January and now. In the beginning, that was the, I would say, the impregnation stage. You know, I was carrying and it was developing. And then January is when it was like, okay, that is the birth. What are you going to do now? So now I am, you know, breastfeeding the baby. Right. Now, you, you started right before the pandemic. And, you know, it's kind of like we're somewhat still in it. You know, it's still a, a, a lot going on right now. But... How was it from the beginning then, and like, how did you have to maintain during that time of like when COVID first took place? Um, for me, it was put your head down and work. Um, and before COVID, no one would buy canned cocktails. It was like a cheap connotation over it. It's like, ugh, canned wine? No. COVID showed that there was a market for it. It's like a $38.1 billion industry now. It showed that people wanted canned. It showed that people had to ship to the door, so it opened up that whole legal, legal space to be able to ship direct to consumer. So all of those things weren't a thing when I started. I had hoped that I launched during COVID when people were just having Zoom parties, yeah. but it wasn't my time. But what it did do was show through other brands, right, what the industry could do, and that it wasn't just 
a fluke of nature. It was this. This is a sustainable business. I started at the right time, meaning if I didn't start when I started, I would just be starting now. And by the time five years from now, it would probably be, you know, stale. So I'm glad I started when I did. What skills would you say from like previous work experience do you feel like kind of helped you with with starting tips? Like, what kind of skills would you say from the past kind of helped you? You know, cooking. Cooking. Because it's cocktails. So cooking, having, loving being a big foodie, loving food, travel, being exposed to like mojitos are totally Cuban, um, rum punch is Caribbean, you know, mimosas are everywhere, but adding mango to it to make it Caribbean, things of that nature. So I would say my culinary background, I wasn't the kid in the kitchen. I was the kid who was like, I'm going to have people hide to do those things. I didn't start cooking until I was an adult. Mm -hmm. And it was therapeutic for me. The legal background, of course, knowing how to read contracts, knowing how to negotiate, and knowing how to speak. What kind of advice would you give someone, you know, about, you know, they, they have this idea, but they don't know, like, how to get it off the ground? What kind of advice would you give them, you know, about as far as, like, pitching their vision to somebody? Finding out, if it's in the food space, how to commercialize it. That's always the question. Mm-hmm. So you can sell dinners all day long, generate your following, and know that you have a base to sell it to, Right. But I say use your family if it's in the food and beverage space or cocktail space and making cocktails. And then figure out a way to commercialize it. And how do you do that? Joining associations like NMSDC, which is Supply Diversity or Women in Business um, Certifications. Getting those certifications. And most importantly, telling... Let me pause. Most importantly, tell people your business and what it is you're trying to do. I think there's a bad, you know... Thing that people say oh be quiet don't tell people what you want to do you're gonna block your blessing that's so far from the truth for me i tell everybody i need a distributor i'm on social media anybody know a distributor <laughs> and then all these people who i've never met have connected me to all the things that got this to be i'm glad you said that because it made me think about something i i just did and i and i did it i did it a few years ago before i um before my book was published, I reached out, I posted on social media, does anybody know someone who can uh, help me publish my book mm-hmm. or whatever? So social media is a blessing for that. So somebody, I did that, and then um, a few days ago, you know, um, like I said, you know, just traveling, doing interviews, I said, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, invest my time in helping somebody that wants to come learn from me. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna show you the, in, I can show you the ins and outs of what I'm doing, help you meet some successful people like yourself. And, uh, you know, I had a guy reach out to me, actually reached out to me this morning. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, I appreciate you reaching out. I said, I'm on the road right now, but once I get back, I'll mm-hmm. be able to, you know, um, get with you and we'll figure mm-hmm. something out. But why do you feel like a lot of times people, you know, they're too ashamed of, you know, asking for the help? Because sometimes, like, closed mouth don't get fed. If you right. don't ask, then you really won't know what somebody's willing to do for it. Why do you think a lot of times some people are afraid to, you know, ask for that help? Failure and rejection. Nobody likes to be, you know, rejected, right? But for me, my mom raised me very early on to say, ask for what you want. And if they tell you no, they're not taking nothing from you. You coming back from that no in the same space that you were in. Mm -hmm. Keep asking. There's something on the other side of that no that will change your life. So for me, I think it's, you know, rooted in us as kids. 
We don't like to hear the, you know, the word no. Mm-hmm. I still don't like the word no. Like but that. instead of it being, a dis, you know, discouraging me where I'm like, oh, he said no, and then went away, maybe I should be doing something. It was like, I, right, you said no, on to the next. I'm not wasting my time with this no. I'm going to move on until I keep getting the yes. I think that fear of rejection is, mm-hmm. is uh, why a lot of people don't do it. I, I hear no all the time. All the time. And it, I'll, I'll be honest, it, it does. It hurts to hear no, but it's sometimes, like I always say, I even put it in my book, it's like, no is not always what you want to hear, but it's something that you need to hear because it forces you to go back to the drawing board, mm-hmm. figure out what, you can, what you've right. done wrong, and you can make those corrections because if, if all you hear is yes all the time, mm-hmm. then you think you... You just a finished product. Right. You don't need anything. And you're always growing. Absolutely. So I'm like, you know what? Even now, I'm like, man, I, I hear it all the time. It won't be the last time that I hear mm-hmm. no. But you just have to keep, pick your head up and keep on going. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you deal with those no's now for you? Like when you hear them, like how does that affect you now? I still get a little pissy about it. I don't like no. Um, <laughs> but then I'm like, I why is it a no? Okay. And then I'll pull, I, I just I pray about it. And then I'm like, okay, a rejection is redirection. Mm-hmm. That ain't for you. Move on. You're not wasting your time begging for a yes. You're like, this is a no. Okay, at least I know where I stand. Let me move on to the next thing and until I get the yeses that I need. Absolutely. And a lot of times I find in self-reflection, those no's should have been no's. Because they would have been bad business decisions. Right. Or and, bad relationships. And it can be a, a blessing in disguise. Like I, I said, I, I remember hearing Steve Harvey said, say one time on, on TV, he said, man, you ask somebody and they say no, like so what? It's not like you had it anyway. Mm-hmm. So you just got to keep. They not taking nothing from you. Know, not taking nothing from you. So you just got to keep on, keep on moving. Mm-hmm. Um, just a few more questions, and then we'll get ready to wrap it up. The article on BlackBusiness.com also said that you are a parent, um, single parent, and so how do you find the time? You know, as a, like we were talking about earlier, as a, um, your mom, your entrepreneur. Um, how do you find that time of trying to, you know, find that balance? Because I know it can be tough as for myself as well, you know, being on the road, traveling, you know, you're a parent and you're trying to run a business. Like, how hard is it? How do you find that balance? It's hard, but I give myself grace mm-hmm. in that I'm like, sometimes I'm a kick-ass mama and sometimes I'm a kick-ass businesswoman. Sometimes I'm both at the same time mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm not. And that's okay, but I think communicating with my kids is key. Like, it's open. I'm like, I can't do this because I'm doing this because it's work-related. And they get it. And they, you know, I've been an entrepreneur before. I had children. So they get it. Um, And sometimes I'll take time out and take them abroad and we'll have that time. And sometimes I got to pull out the laptop when we're on holiday. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think over-communicating is key for me and explaining to them in common layman's term as if they were adults, this is what it is. Right. I think this, for me, is that's the tough part. Because, you know, at times I'm... I'm not always home. I'm on the road traveling. I know they just want to, they don't understand. They just want to be with daddy all yeah. the time. So I'm just like, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm going to figure something out. We're going to make some time. But right now, daddy, got, daddy has these dreams. I got to, you know, I want to make sure you guys have the best quality of mm-hmm. life. Um, you may not see it now, right. but in the long term, you know, I want them to, you know, understand what, mm-hmm. what daddy did it for, you mm-hmm. know, to make a difference. And also just to, to inspire other people. Right. So it's like, you know, I don't want to show them. I want to show them that it's not okay to sell. You know, go after your dreams. Whatever, whatever you want to do in life, it's okay to go after. Right. But you gotta understand it takes a lot of hard work mm-hmm. and dedication and time. To, and time, yes. And in the beginning, you know, with just the law practice, I pick one day out the week that I spent one on one with each kid. Mm-hmm. Not always 
the three of us, it's okay, I'm going to go ice cream on, you know, Wednesdays with my son and then find a sitter. And then on Thursdays, go for my daughter for ice cream. And then on Fridays or Saturdays, we go together. So I think carving out different times, even if you can't do it once a week, like once a month, pick a day where it's just you and whatever kid individually mm-hmm. that you can spend that time with. What would you say overall was like maybe one of, if not the biggest, sacrifice that you've had to make? Ooh, child. Um, <laughs> put my son in boarding school last year. It was 30 grand. Whew. Yes. That was a huge sacrifice because mm. that was tipsy lady money. Mm. And it was, you can run another production and do X, Y, Z, or you can put your son in private boarding mm. school where he's going to get the education he needs in this season in his life with a smaller classroom size that was like eight to one versus 30 to one. Right, right. So that was the biggest sacrifice that I by far have made, I've made, period. But it will definitely pay <laughs> off in the, in the long run. Yeah, he's home and he's <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to go back. And I'm like, okay, I ain't got the buddy, so you <laughs> might not. But, <laughs> but I've seen the growth in this last year with him as a young man who's 13 and coming into his own. What what message do you preach to to your children? You know, as far as you know, because um, they've seen both sides. You know, um, as an entrepreneur or you know, working a nine to five. Like, which way do you like? Would you like to see them go? Like, do you try to sway them, or you just nope? Like, I say up to them. Well, pick your passion. What are you passionate about? Do what you love, and the money will come. Mm-hmm. I had the I had an article. Um, it kind of, you know, they kind of twisted my words a little bit, but it was saying that pertaining to my son, you know, his father is, uh, like we said earlier, instead of like diving into the story and reading it, mm-hmm. people were just looking at the headline and mm-hmm. it said along the lines of, you know, this father is uh, teaching his son about entrepreneurship instead of, you know, going to college. Mm-hmm. And uh, so people would come in you know, mm-hmm. and they were just like, well, why not encourage both? If they read the article, it would... Uh, they will understand it. But you know, we lazy. We don't read. Exactly. We just look at the bold print the and that's it. And it's like, all right. Exactly. They so very Instagram reels and quick. Yeah. You know. And and I was like, man, I, I am. So it kind of like bothered me a little bit. Just just a little bit. I'm like, man, I'm, I never even said it. Like, if you read it, you understand. I'm mm-hmm. encouraging both. I'm just giving him that exposure to see yeah. both sides. Because well, growing up for me, I didn't get a chance to see both sides, really, for, for my parents anyway. I just saw my parents get up and go to work for mm-hmm. somebody else. So for me now, um, I, as I, have, I still have my nine to five, but I'm also, you know, entrepreneurs. I wrote my first book. Um, I'm traveling, doing a podcast. So my son gets a chance to see mm-hmm. both sides mm-hmm. of it. So people would just come in like, why not encourage both? And then I would come in and tell them I am encouraging both. And then some people were telling me, you know, they were. Looking at <laughs> That's it. when you screenshot the answer and highlight it yeah. and say, "Here you go." <laughs> exactly. And, and, and then some people Read. were telling me uh, with the title of my book, mm-hmm. uh, they were telling me just find a different way to word it. They were just trying to tell me how to send my message. I didn't send it the right way. I didn't right. have the message worded the mm-hmm. right way. It was just so much stuff. But it's just like you know, dive into it, understand, you know. Don't just go from for a headline and just not to not fully understand the right. message. But I, I, for all of my children, not just my son, I encourage them. You know, whatever you're passionate about, go after. Right. Do what you and, love. And just be willing to you know put into work mm-hmm. to to make it happen. Um, just a couple more questions. What advice would you have for anyone you know chasing their dream? They may uh they may not feel like it's the right time. Um, they they may not feel like they're ready for it, but it's never gonna be a perfect time. You just have to really have to step out there on faith. But what advice would you have for people, you know, 
and ready to, you know, just go after their dreams. Do it. Just just jump, you know, um, have a plan in place. And sometimes the plan is going to change. You're going to shift. I had three careers already, or really four. I'm an author, attorney, do real estate. I got a cocktail company. I did some consulting work. I mean, it'll change. And just know that you have to be mutable and be comfortable with shifting and changing um, but you just got to do it. You're not going to have all the answers. If I had waited for a tipsy lady to be all of the things in the alignment, it would not be on the shelves right now. Because I'm like, just launch the damn thing, and you can tweak it as you go along. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything, looking back on your journey, that you would do differently? I probably would not have gone to law school. Mm. A lot of debt from law school. I, I, the skill set that I learned, it's a blessing um, because I'm able to apply that training through every career that I've had. But if that's the only thing I can say that I probably would not have done because a lot of it isn't law. A lot of it was common sense in business. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have gone to business school. I probably would have started a real estate career at 18 and stacked my bread. Mm-hmm. I, I say the same thing. Uh, me and my friends, that we all graduated from college, and sometimes, you know, we had those conversations like, man, did we really need to go to school for some Because a lot of times, the stuff that we took in college, we never really used I don't again. use none of that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't use none of yeah. algebra, all those things. I'm like, nope, don't use it. Logic, nope. That's like, all common after, sense. After the basics, mm-hmm. then it's just like the rest of it is just like really mm-hmm. not even necessary. And I, I graduated in, from upstate in 2014, and so eight years ago mm-hmm. and um like half this stuff that they taught us like i haven't even used since then i'm like man did i really need to go into all this debt just to no you know get a piece of paper because we chase the dream of what is told oh you go you, you get this degree you're gonna make six figures but it's like not really if you owe more than what you make you and then you got the interest you'll never get out of that debt so it's nice that a lot of people are getting that loan forgiveness mm-hmm. right now i know a couple of people have gotten 160 grand wiped out already Ooh, that's a blessing and i'm like come by here lord <laughs> come by here but <laughs> but we're gonna see what tipsy lady does so that tipsy can pay for all of that but we're just conditioned to think if you become a doctor a lawyer you're gonna have this you know romanticized life that we see on television it's just not realistic and that's also part of the problem that we need to see people who look like us doing the thing to make exactly. it real, mm-hmm. right? And not the Huxtables. Exactly. <laughs> it got to be real and tangible where you can sit down and have those conversations. That's why representation matters. Absolutely. And I, like I, I always thought, you know, that's what life was. You know, uh, you just got to go to school. Then you go to college. You get a job with great benefits. And then you just stay there. Like, that's what I thought mm-hmm. life was supposed to be. So then once I got up and it was like, the best thing that really, honestly, one of the best things that ever happened to me was um, when I had I graduated and my student loan kicked in. I was paying five hundred a month, and I ended up having to work two jobs just to work and pay these pay the bills. And I'm just like, so I would work probably thirteen, fourteen hours a day. Mm-hmm. And then one night I was at work, um, getting off around eleven thirty mm-hmm. at night, and then having to be back at work at five in the morning. I'm like, I got to get up and do the same thing over again. And I got to do this for, for about four or five more days in a row. And then it just hit me. I was like, man, something got to give. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I stayed at the job a little bit longer. And then I finally came to a point where it was just like a breaking point. Either I'm going to do this or I'm just going to stay here. So I just finally quit my second job and I went home. And that was when I started writing my book. But I was like, there's no way, like, 
I can just live this way and just work just to pay bills and you know not even like I'm just giving up on all of my dreams and my aspirations but it's like I tell people all the time like for the most part if you talk to the average person you tell them, man all I'm doing is working to pay bills mm-hmm. they gonna tell you well welcome to the real world and, and that's what you think that's all it is to life is just working to pay bills and it's not so mm-hmm. it's like you really have to find a way to you know make that pivot and, mm-hmm. and you got it's never gonna be a perfect time but you have to go out there and, and chase your right. dream Yes, ma'am. I agree. So my, my final question as we get ready to wrap it up, this is the Cross the Line Podcast Self-Investment Tour. So I would like to ask you, what does self-investment mean to you? Taking time out for yourself and understanding your why when you're investing in yourself, you you know, from a spiritual perspective, um, investing in myself, I, I go to bed at 10 and I sleep. <laughs> I get my rest. Um, eat. Is, is the best I can as far as quality food of what I fuel and put into my body. Um, so that's investing in myself. And then always being open to learning and meeting people and not being the smartest person in the room. For me, that's an investment in myself and listening and absorbing, but also telling people about my business and asking for help. Absolutely. Where do you see the, I know I said that was the last question, but where do you see like, tipsy lady going like in the future i see her i call her <laughs> she a whole <laughs> wife i see tipsy lady in every retail chain in in the united states and globally i see her on the airlines and the resorts um i see her being valued at 100 million or more absolutely and i, I love the colors of it is because it gives you like this uh this relaxing vacation type vibe when you look at the colors of it. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna also let you please talk about the flavors and then how everyone can find it. Okay, so I have rum punch, which is a traditional rum punch that you would get in the Caribbean. Um, no artificial flavors, organic, natural kosher ingredients. Then I have the sunrise mimosa with mango and vodka in it or grain neutral spirits. And then I also have the mojito as well. And so you can get it online now through September at shop.tipsyladycocktails.com and we ship direct to your door in about 35 plus markets and in South Carolina we're in all of the Total Wine and Moors as well as a couple of other um, wine and spirit or liquor stores um, here in South Carolina including Kiowa Island as well, Kiowa Spirits. Absolutely. I want to thank you Miss Tony for taking the time to sit down. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank Um, you. I love what you're doing with your business, and I love the advice that you give entrepreneurs, you know, about chasing their dreams, because I think that's so important. Like I said, I see so many people, a lot of times online, you know, they say things like, man, this ain't it. I, <laughs> I hate this job. I'm ready to quit. Like, who's hiring? But they never really give themselves a, a real chance, you know, mm-hmm. do something that they really want to do. So I've, that's what this platform is for. I really like to, you know, encourage people, you know, just give yourself a chance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not going to always be smooth. It's not going to always be perfect. But you just have to be willing to, you know, take that step. And you never know what kind of doors are going to open up for you mm-hmm. when you go out there and, and, and step out on faith. Mm-hmm. So I really want to thank you for encouraging people. Um, one more one more thing before we get out of here. Can you please tell everyone how to find you and your business one more time? So Tipsy Lady Cocktails with an S dot com is a website. And then all of my social media handles is Tipsy Lady Cocktails. So it's Instagram, Tipsy Lady Cocktails, as well as Facebook and Twitter. Absolutely. So thank you again. And hopefully everybody that tuned into this episode, I hope you guys took a lot away from this episode. Please support Tipsy Lady as I will. 
I'm also have something for you when we get ready to wrap this interview okay. up. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode of the Cross the Line Podcast. This is a self-investment tour. So until next time, keep chasing your dreams. Thank you for listening.